Hey now, and Happy New Year. We are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That as we enter 2023 with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are kicking off the year as we always do with our latest WWE edition, breaking down everything that happened this week across SmackDown, the final WWE show of 2022, and Raw, the first WWE show of 2023. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along for the ride momentarily, but before we get to him, we're going to kick off the 2023 edition of Getting Over, just like we did the 2022 editions, by reminding you that this show So please, folks, it may be a new year. Let's not forget. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave a five-star written review as well. Let everyone know why you listen and tell them why they should subscribe to the show. Because if you do, we will read your five-star reviews right here on the podcast. And I made a covenant with you all. I said, hey, folks. If we get to 400 reviews on Apple Podcasts before the end of 2022, I will stop reading these uh, teases. I will I will stop asking for these reviews twice every episode. Well, you didn't get there, so they're still happening. I'll maybe extend it a little bit. If we get to 400, maybe before WrestleMania, I'll make the same adjustments to our intro. But for now, it remains. Also, folks, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting. Overcast for episode drops. You can vote in polls. You get news analysis highlights all week long. And presently, while we are taping the show, we are in the final few hours of voting for our 2022 Getting Over Awards, aka the Medes. And those awards will be coming out for you on Thursday this week. So obviously, this is Tuesday when we tape this WWE edition. Wednesday night, as soon as AEW Dynamite goes off the air, we're going to do a very quick AEW and NXT show, and that is to create space Thursday afternoon for the 2022 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. So those awards will be coming. Voting is almost complete. Uh, I'm excited to do the show. It's one of the favorite things that Chris and I do every year. And since you've already heard him, uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Hope you had a extremely happy new year. I know uh, both you and I, well, I can speak for myself. Look, we both work in college football. I absolutely hate the fact that the college football playoff semifinals go down on New Year's Eve. It ruins what is my one of my favorite holidays of the year. I know some people like Christmas and, and they like July 4th and all that stuff. I'm a big New Year's Eve fan. I like getting together with friends, having a few cocktails, eating some good food, watching the ball drop, and getting into some trouble occasionally, or at least when I was younger, I did. And while I love college football, throwing those games on New Year's Eve, to me, takes away that holiday because I have to work. So it's very selfish. That said, if you're going to put college football on New Year's Eve, the games better be as good as they were this year. Yeah, it's been a wild few days for college football. The semifinals were great. I spent 10, eight, eight, 10 hours at AT&T Stadium on Monday for the Cotton Bowl. Two lanes come back against USC, a crazy game. So roll all, damn wave. Hell of a game. We are almost to the end of the college football season. We've got the championship next week. I'll be there 
Um, a couple things going on after that, but uh, almost to the finish out of college football into the road to WrestleMania, but not quite there yet. Yeah, and WWE wishes, trust me, that it was nearly the end of the NFL season, but it's not because despite there uh, not being, I don't believe, a Monday night football game in week 18, the NFL has decided, you know what, let's go ahead and put some playoff games on Monday night. So Raw uh, is not yet free from their NFL overlords just yet, but hopefully in the coming weeks they will be and WWE can find out how well uh, their storylines and booking are going for them and see if these ratings adjust as we get on the road to WrestleMania 39. Chris, we are very close to getting on that road. We're only a couple of weeks away from the Royal Rumble. And because of that, an absolute ton of stuff happened in WWE this week. In fact, so much that we're not going to give you an intro talking about what we think about SmackDown and Raw. We'll get to that. We'll talk about it as we go through today's show. We have not a double, but a triple main event to discuss on today's show. We also are going to go through the good, the bad, and the ugly from this week in WWE. We are not going to waste another second, Chris. Let's open the show, the first episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for 2023, the way we open every WWE episode of this show by sliding into the main event. So obviously, we are going to be starting with the Bloodline, which not only had a storyline that lasted throughout SmackDown on Friday, but then took their deal over to Raw as well on Monday. So we have a lot to get through. This is the first part of the main event. we got two more coming out of this, but let's kick things off on SmackDown, where Sami Zayn went to the Bloodline locker room early in the show. He wanted to talk strategy with Roman Reigns. Paul Heyman was really merry. Uh, he met him at the door, but he stopped him saying Reigns was thrilled with what Zayn said last week in his promo. But then Heyman cautioned him that it's not really good optics for Sammy to be getting cheered over Roman when they're in the ring together. And while Reigns hasn't said anything to him about it yet, it's probably smart for Sammy to think three steps ahead of the tribal chief and not put him in similar situations going forward. Then he let him in to see Roman. Now, Reigns becoming jealous that Sammy is now the focal point for the bloodline, at least when it comes to the audience, that he's the one being acknowledged. Using that as a baseline for a potential turn is not necessarily something I saw coming. Like Roman's ego and his constant insecurity, they've been just as important as his in-ring dominance for this character, what we've gotten from him over the last two plus years. And someone like him would absolutely see Sami Zayn as a threat to his control of the company and perhaps even his family, even if he doesn't see him as a threat for the title, like in the ring. Having Heyman point this out instead of Reigns initially, I thought that was perfect. And Zayn being ignorant to the thought process initially is also exactly the way it needed to be played from his standpoint, because he's not there to take over the family, but others see that as a potential, at least from a fan sentiment standpoint. I thought it was an exceptional segment to open SmackDown. Also, they had a great Hanukkah Ramadan back and forth between them. That was hilarious as well. Sammy and Paul have been great every time they interact. But this, to kind of set the tone for maybe this is where the turn actually happens, I thought it was brilliant. Insecurity really has been the foundation of Roman's character back to the beginning. The entire point of acknowledge me is because he feels like he needs acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. So the idea that Sammy is getting acknowledged 
by the fans, by whoever, instead of him, it's a natural, you know, point of contention between them, even if Sammy doesn't see it. Well, you have to remember, and, and this is what you're pointing out, the reason this Roman Reigns tribal chief acknowledge me character exists is a playoff of all of the years that WWE spent trying to literally get the crowd to acknowledge him as the next John Cena, as the guy who's going to take the company going forward. And that just being met with derision for the most part, right? Fans were uninterested and the harder that WWE pushed, the harder fans pushed back. And that had to be a blow to his ego, but not just in reality, but in kayfabe as well, in his actually actual character. I mean, mm-hmm. let's not forget, they did an entire storyline after Reigns won that Royal Rumble, I think it was, and, and The Rock raised his hand and even The Rock got booed, right? Where Bray Wyatt came out and he's like, Roman, it's anyone but you. The fans want mm-hmm. anyone but you. And Reigns demanding acknowledgement, not just from his family, but now the WWE universe, it is him reaching that mountaintop to say, I proved you all wrong. Even though you didn't want to like me, you didn't want to respect me, more respect than like. Uh, You didn't want to respect me. Now you don't have any choice because I've been that dominant inside of this company. And for Sammy to now come in and be taking that attention away from Roman, I never really considered that that would be the pendulum on which potentially the bloodline or reigns turns on Zayn and them setting it up here in that moment with Paul taking Sammy aside, as opposed to reigns like showing distaste on his facial expressions when they're in the ring together, them kind of giving like the the audience a little bit, hey, keep an eye out because this might happen soon. I just thought it was perfectly executed. Yep, totally agree. And and Sammy's been in that spot where he's trying to be a heel, trying to do heel things, but we all see through it, really. And that that he's really not a bad guy and the fans pull for him. It's just, it continues to be one of the most interesting storylines we've ever had in wrestling. And, And the other interesting element of it as well is they're making us as the audience part of the story too. Yep. Because it's, it's not just about Reigns and Sammy and who Jay likes more or who Paul Heyman likes more, or Solo Sokoa, who's back, he gets. It's who are we cheering for? You at home, we are now part of this story. And to some level, we can impact, perhaps, whether Reigns does turn on Zayn, because if we keep cheering Sammy more than we cheer Roman, then that's just going to piss him off more and more, at least we think that's the case, based on what they're telling us. So I just think that was brilliant. I, I loved it. And I did want to spend a little bit extra time on the concept of this before we get on to, of course, the execution throughout the rest of SmackDown. So let's go ahead and move to the second segment we got on SmackDown, which was Sheamus fighting Solo Sokoa in a singles match. The Brawling Brutes and the Usos were ringside. Sheamus countered the hip attack with a lariat and later hit 10 beats, the Irish Kurtz and the Cloverleaf consecutively. The Usos broke uh, the last one via distraction. The teams brawled at ringside until Sheamus jumped off the top rope outside into both Usos, only to get pulled into the ring post. Then Sheamus ate a Uranagi on the ring apron and the Samoan spike with Sokoa getting the win. The Usos cleared house. Sokoa wrapped the chair around Sheamus's neck, but Drew McIntyre made the save, also making his return to WWE after that ruptured eardrum that kept him out a few weeks. McIntyre was like jacked up. Uh, he hit Jimmy Uso with a Claymore, and that pretty much ended the entire segment. Well, let's see, Chris. We got... Oh, we got two 
And we got a perfectly booked finish to protect Sheamus. McIntyre not only returning, but looking like a million bucks. He was a G-invest away from looking like Triple H making his return back in the day. I wish commentary sold him being out of action a little bit more in the moment because they made it seem like he was just backstage and came out where it was actually a return. That's a minor gripe. McIntyre-Sokoa is clearly a big-time match that needs to happen. I do think they fought once already, but I would love to see it again. I don't know, man. Uh, this was perfect. This was a great match, a great post-match. Loved it. Yep, loved everything about it. Drew being back is great. And I think he was in he was in no shirt and jeans for this one. He was on Raw. Was he no, he was in a no leather shirt? jacket and jeans. Leather jacket. That's why I was saying, Sorry. if you put the jean vest on top, you would have been Triple H. It would have looked Yeah, perfect. exactly, exactly. So that, uh, yeah, it was great. And I'm going to... It's a theme we're going to say probably a couple times in this Bloodline review is that this would be a pretty good build to War Games <laughs> if they were doing it, but they I already know. did it. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to do a Survivor Series match at the Royal Rumble? Like, I don't understand what this booking is. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's <laughs> that's what I keep thinking because it's like you've got so many different stories overlapping with the Bloodline. It feels like it culminates in Rumble, WrestleMania somewhere where – I don't know, do, 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 do the Brutes come out and get rid of the Usos? Like uh, uh, the big moan at WrestleMania, if Roman gets defeated, are we going to have everybody else come come down and take take away all his lackeys or something like that? I, I don't know, but it feels like everybody's... Oh, that's interesting. ...gathering together, kind of like when WCW joined together to, to fight the NWO or something like that. I'm reading, I'm reading the Nitro book right now. That, so that's, that's kind of an interesting. Like, so like, let's just make believe Roman Reigns is fighting Cody Rhodes. And like yeah. Solo Sokoa gets involved. So Drew McIntyre runs down and takes him yeah. out. And the Usos get involved. So Sheamus and the Brawling Brutes run down and take them out. Then Sami Zayn gets involved. I mean, I know that may be broken up by them, but that's what you're talking about. That's, that's, that is pretty interesting. I mean, that could happen at Royal Rumble, perhaps, where, you know, if we get Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens, that this same type of, you know, deal happens where other people come down to kind of clear the deck. Um, I don't know, man. It, it's just... It's odd that so many people keep getting involved in this and you're like, well, where's the entire thing going? Because it's a perfect setup for Survivor Series, except they're not doing it. So um, maybe it's Elimination Chamber to some degree, although that wouldn't necessarily make sense either. I don't know, man. Uh, it's just interesting. I wanted to also give Chris a shout out to Michael Cole. He acknowledged ahead of this match, TNA announcer Don West, who died uh, this past Friday. He mentioned him by name. He also quipped, he truly made an impact as a reference to his work. So just Hat tip to Michael Cole uh, for that reference. Now, continuing on with SmackDown, uh, Sami Zayn was laughing along in the Bloodline locker room as Roman told some funny story that we didn't get to hear. Uh, Zayn then checked with Reigns. He's like, hey, you're not bothered that the crowd is chanting for me or did chant for me more than you last week. And Roman paused and got serious at first. Heyman stared Zayn down like he was an absolute idiot, which he was for saying that. But then Reigns broke saying, of course, he didn't have a problem with it because fans can't help but pay attention to someone who has the same conviction that Sammy does on the mic. Then they all got pumped up for their main event match. So I sat on my couch thinking, holy shit, is Sammy a moron when he asked that question? I mean, this guy has seen how ideas can be put into Roman's head that he's not even considering. And this exact kind of move cost Sammy being a made man a couple of weeks ago. And yet he still brought it up when Heyman specifically told him it was a preventative conversation, that he was talking to Sammy. That way he didn't have to talk to Reigns about it. He was trying to nip it in the bud and get, get him out of the situation. Like, how naive do you have to be about the entire thing? Now, it was obviously purposeful 
but I still couldn't believe that he did it. Now that said, the execution, the presentation, the entire thing, it was superb. It was another great segment. But I sat there thinking, I was like, are they really making Sammy to be this dumb? Or is he just so comfortable in the bloodline now that he's not even paying attention to what Paul Heyman is saying, which I believe was to try to protect Sammy. I think he thinks he's good. And that's going to come up again. Like you mentioned, Cole. Like he's I'll untouchable. Just say, I'll just say it now. But when they did their entrance for the match, Cole made the point. He's like, he's still the honorary use. He still has that title that hasn't been taken away. Like that's important. And I think Sammy thinks he's fine now, but it is notable that a couple of weeks ago, they didn't end up taking away the title and he still has it. So like, I think it feels like Sammy thinks he's good now, but we can tell that he's not. Yeah. I think that might be it. I mean, Reigns did laugh the entire thing off, but we've seen him do that before. And then when that person leaves the room, get serious again and, yeah. You know, it, it it leaves the questions. It, it, it creates more questions in our head that we now have to consider as these segments transpire and as future incidents occur. And that certainly did happen as we finished up SmackDown and moved over to Raw. So let's move to the main event. We had Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn against John Cena and Kevin Owens. That was the scheduled match. Cena obviously got a thunderous reaction. He also thanked the fans through the camera. Zayn's nose got busted open hard way after a couple of minutes, so Reigns offered him his hand to tag him. KO's eye also got bloodied later. I think Reigns was doing like a ground and pound outside and, and really socked him. And he, I think he still had a black eye Monday night on Raw as well. Now, Reigns and Cena got into it outside with Sammy catching John with a Huluva kick. Cena wasn't up for a tag, so Owens hit two super kicks and a pop-up powerbomb with Reigns breaking the fall. KO dodged a Superman punch countering with a super kick and a frog splash for a near fall. Then he countered a pop-up powerbomb with a Superman punch, Reigns did, but Owens dodged a spear with Reigns flying past him into the post. On a double hot tag, Cena hit his signature moves on Zayn and taunted Reigns with You Can't See Me. He tagged Owens for a double You Can't See Me, like the actual move. Cena then hit Reigns with attitude adjustment. He rolled outside as Owens stunned Zayn with the baby faces going over, getting the one, two, three, and there was really no further story building after the bell, SmackDown just went off the air. You know, I found it to be an entertaining match. Like we expected the baby faces to win and that's what happened. I did not love Reigns selling You Can't See Me and then taking the AA. Like him running into the post, that should have been enough to then go into the finishing sequence of the match. I get why they booked it that way. Most notable was Cena looking almost near 100%, despite not wrestling in 15 months. He didn't even seem that gassed or winded during his long stretches of wrestling. That's pretty impressive. I didn't think it was amazing. It was solid across the board. Again, I don't really see the purpose of Cena delivering a finisher to Reigns, who's not, they're not going to fight each other. And Reigns taking, you can't see me looking just like every other heel, like any other heel would take it. He's better than that. He's bigger than that. I didn't love that part of the booking of the match. Well, I, I think, well, are you talking about the AA at, AA at the end of the match? Yeah, like I know it caused well, it was to, It was just to him for, to get out of the ring. It was a reason for him to not be able to break I, up the pinfall I, I on Sammy. That, but he's still taking John Cena's finisher, which in that respect, you say, oh my God, he could have pinned him if he had stayed in the ring. The spot they did before with Owens dodging but, the spear but, where Reigns ran into the post, that would have been enough there to then knock him out so they can stun Sammy and get the get the win. 
Yeah, I mean, but Kevin Owens gave him a stunner at War Games. I mean, it's not unprecedented to hit a finisher on Roman to knock him out of whatever. Kevin I, Owens. I Kevin Owens is an active superstar who's about yeah, to challenge I, for the title. John I mean, Cena is not. John Cena is John Cena. Uh, overall, like I thought this was okay. Like it was kind of what I predicted, which was the entrances start at a half hour to go, and then the match doesn't start until fifteen minutes to go, and then Kevin Owens does most of the work and Cena's right. in the ring for maybe five minutes. So like in the end, it was fine. I love the build. I love the entrance. I thought Cole and Barrett did a great job hyping it up got me really excited for it. And then, yeah, the match was, you know, Cole was like, this could be match of the year, you know, and stuff like that. And it obviously wasn't. It obviously was just kind of ended up being a normal type of, of, of tag and whatever. But it was good to see Cena and, and, and everything seemed to be in fine shape. But again, he didn't wrestle for that long. So who knows? Ultimately, it doesn't matter. It was fun. It was fine. It didn't live up to expectations, but it did what it was supposed to do, which was supposed to give you a big headline type of match to close out the year as you try to get a good rating on the final SmackDown. Uh, and I believe the numbers looked pretty good if I saw that correctly. Well, final so ratings it, come today, but the overnight numbers did look fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it did what it was. And ultimately, Sammy got a loss and you move that forward. To your point, really, the MVP of this match was the crowd. The Tampa crowd was yes on fire. Now, yep. WWE gave them a show where they had every reason to be on fire. And of course, it was a sold out building because John Cena was there, so on and so forth. But they were on fire fire for this main event and for pretty much everything that happened on SmackDown. They were the MVPs of the match. They were the MVPs of SmackDown on Friday. I presume the idea here in terms of the booking, Chris, is to compound Roman's jealousy, which we learned about earlier in the show, even though Heyman said he didn't communicate it and Reigns didn't show jealousy. We're supposed to think that he might be jealous of Sammy. Uh, Compound that with Sammy actually taking the L and maybe that creates tension between them starting this coming Friday on SmackDown. If they are doing a direct reigns Zane angle, that feels a lot more like a one-on-one feud now by putting them in contention with each other than something that would lead to Sammy and KO challenging for the tag team titles at WrestleMania, as you and I have expected for a long time. And I actually appreciate not being able to put my finger on what exactly is going to happen. At this point, even, there's still more questions than answers. And that type of intrigue is what keeps viewers coming back week to week. The question always is, what's going to happen next? If you can ask that question, and you care to ask that question, I should say, that is where you retain viewers and and gain new ones. And that's what they're accomplishing right now with the Bloodline storyline, particularly with Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. Yep, because as soon as SmackDown ended, I was like, man, I can't wait to see if this is addressed on Raw. And ultimately, I couldn't watch Raw live because I was at the football game, but I I did catch up on everything. But but that's what you want. That's why the story is so good, because it's been going on for like two years and we're still on the edge of our seat with anything that happens. Yeah, that's good storytelling. They really overcame the doldrums of this, too, because there was a while where it started getting monotonous and we're like, there's only one world champion and he's only on SmackDown and, and I'm still bothered by that. But yes. man, the levels at which this storyline is operating right now, you just have to accept it. Like, you're like, OK, man, stay on SmackDown and just absolutely dominate with the storyline of the. I mean, Chris, we, we've been talking about storyline of the year and the getting over awards are coming out. I mean, I don't think it's going to be much of a surprise that this will probably win storyline. I haven't done the math yet, but I'm sure it will. 
this is bordering now on storyline of the decade. And I don't mean 2020 to 2023. I mean, the last 10 years, perhaps. I mean, what better wrestling storyline have we gotten than this recently? Well, we, we talked we talked about this like a month or two ago. I mean, we, we said it was the best thing since maybe the Attitude Era. So, yeah, again, it just continues to deliver and it delivered again on Monday. It kept it going. <laughs> like, so, yeah, <laughs> let's go right into that. Good way to uh, transition us here. A segue, I guess, is what it's technically called. Uh, the Raw intro that they normally do to start the show got interrupted by live footage of the Bloodline Sands Reigns completely tearing apart the ringside area, saying they run the show on Monday nights just like they do on Friday nights. Owens immediately came out with a mic. Zane cut him off, saying the Bloodline was doing a hostile takeover of Raw and people would get hurt all because of KO. So Owens just charged the ring suddenly. Adam Pierce ran out with a bunch of security guards and stopped him. He laid down the law. He told security to escort the bloodline out. So as security starts getting in the ring, Solo Sokoa is taking them out one by one. The other guys aren't even doing anything. So Owens looks at them and he's like, all right, screw it. And he attacks them one on four. He gets his ass kicked, of course, until finally the locker room empties with a bunch of faces running out to beat the bloodline into the crowd. Pierce then decided all four members of the bloodline would be in matches on the show. Backstage, Montez Ford demanded the Street Profits be included. KO did as well. Then Elias said he wanted to fight Solo one-on-one, given Sokoa's prior attack of him. So Pierce made two matches. Uh, And that did leave a lot of people out who helped, like Mustafa Ali, Cedric Alexander, Dolph Ziggler, the Good Brothers. They just didn't get to wrestle. Now, WWE clearly found that the threaded bloodline story from last week crushed in the ratings. So they went back to it. And they did it head-to-head with a huge Monday Night Football game. Now, of course, we had no idea what was about to transpire on Monday Night Football. After this, um, it, as it turned out, you know, Raw basically didn't have a football game competition. Rather, it went to head-to-head with one of the biggest sports stories of the last few years and certainly the biggest so far in 2023. I, I, it was, you know, unfortunate and it was difficult, I will say, for myself being someone who watches wrestling, loves wrestling, watches the NFL, loves the NFL, to watch both simultaneously. It actually was way harder than if it was an actual game. And because of that, my enjoyment of Raw was depressed significantly, I will say. That's not saying that I thought it was a bad show because of what happened in the NFL, but I didn't get as excited for Raw as I likely would have if I was able to give my full attention to it. I'm just explaining my thought process here as this stuff unfolded the rest of the way. Going back to WWE, though, I still contend, Chris, that the idea of the bloodline destroying Raw because of KO, it's flimsy. Flimsy at best, stupid at worst, because he's not some leader of the law locker room or anything like that. My bigger frustration, obviously, remains the absence of Reigns on Raw, but there's no doubting this was a hot start to the show, featuring the top act in the entire company, just wreaking havoc. The match bookings that followed from Pierce, they were sensible. I didn't find them notable. Pierce was kind of the MVP of the entire thing. He remains awesome in his role. And him just deciding in 2023, I'm not going to take the bloodline shit. That's pretty interesting. Yes. And again, with so many people coming out of the locker room to fight against the bloodline, it felt again like, what are we, are we, are we setting up for our war games, a survivor series, uh, a something, or is everybody going to, come together to help somebody beat Roman Reigns in the end. I don't know, but they're really leaning into that. These last couple of episodes now, we're just like, 
you realize the bloodline has fucked around with everybody at some point. You know, the Street Profits and Usos had their thing. So it's like everybody's kind of had a piece in this along the way. And I think it's starting to come together in January as we head into WrestleMania and potentially the end or the climax of the story. Very possible. I also I forgot to shout out Byron Saxton for having the single corniest shocked look on his face coming out of that first segment into the backstage area. It was laugh out loud funny. Did you get a chance to see that? No, I missed that. I was watching it on my phone. While okay, I was Google on. Byron Saxon on Twitter. You can easily find a, a screenshot of his face. It was really, really funny. So let's get to the first match. We got Elias versus Sokoa in a Music City street fight. So Raw was in Nashville. They put a big graphic on the Titan Tron and a ton of instruments around the ring. Elias knocked Solo out with the cymbal. Uh, Sokoa beat on Elias with a drum stand. It was at this point commentary mentioned following a commercial break that it was a false count anywhere match, which made no sense because a street fight is not automatically false count anywhere. And they never announced it prior to the middle of the match. Now, the best usage was Elias beating Sokoa with an electric keyboard. Solo hit a belly to belly suplex that Kevin Patrick mistakenly called as his finisher, which was a huge eye roll. Elias dodged Solo in the corner with his head hitting the top of the ring post. Elias then hit his spine buster and beat Sokoa in the head with a tambourine. Some musician named Hardy, who is apparently playing the Royal Rumble, handed Elias a guitar from the crowd, but he ate a super kick Elias when he got the guitar. So this guy Hardy gets in the ring and hits Sokoa in the back with the guitar. Solo completely no-sold it, and Hardy ran away. Elias caught Solo distracted with the pump knee, but as he flew in with a broken guitar trying to do a shot off the ropes, Sokoa caught him with a Samoan spike. And then he hit sitting solo into a piano at ringside for the one, two, three. So that's why it was false count anywhere. They wanted to do the spot into the piano. Sokoa then grabbed the guitar and went looking for this guy, Hardy, only to eventually walk away. The first half of this match I thought was boring as sin, but it did pick up massively in the finish. And that's despite this freaking no name Hardy getting involved. Okay, maybe that's not fair. Like, I don't know country music at all. So he's not in my, you know, hemisphere or whatever of of musicians that I would know. But I also don't like know whatever type of music it is that Bad Bunny makes. And I know Bad Bunny, you know, so he's not Bad Bunny, Johnny Knoxville or Logan Paul level in terms of a celebrity. Anyway, the spike and spinning solo into the piano, it really made for a great finish. They did enough into swerving you into thinking that Elias might win, which concerned me. I was like, I can't believe Elias is going to be the first person to beat solo because a guy named Hardy caused a distraction in a random Monday Night Raw. So I was really happy that Sokoa won. That like was the icing on the cake for me, not hating this. Um, but again, the finish was really strong. The start to the match, it went on way too long. Did I miss how this came together? Did this happen last week? Sokoa, Sokoa you have to remember, knocked Riddle out by wrapping the chair yeah. around his neck yeah. and running into the corner. He tried yeah. to do the same thing to Elias. Okay, but like coming in, did, when did we know that this match was happening? Just today? When, when Adam Pierce announced it backstage. <laughs> okay, so like it felt like a big match. Like you're bringing all these weapons, you're doing false count anywhere. It felt like a blow off type of match, but it just came out well, of that, nowhere. So that's the thing I tweeted. It was like somehow WWE had thousands of dollars of musical equipment ready just in case the bloodline invaded Raw. And then Adam Pierce decided on a whim to make a street fight that he wanted just, to make a Music City I, yeah. street fight. I understand it like came up because of how the show started, but it felt like a big match that you could have you could have announced it next week because he attacked Riddle. He tried to attack Elias. Like mm-hmm. 
because I was like, when I saw this happening, I was like, oh, like, I'm excited for this. I kind of wish I knew this was coming and it wasn't just kind of a thing off of off of a whim. Um, so that was just kind of surprising. But I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was like it was that weird spot between a gimmick and being serious. You've got a country music guy coming in and hanging with a guitar and all that stuff. I like that Solo No sold it. Because I think ultimately some country music guy hitting him shouldn't if he's the big brute tough guy of the bloodline. So in the piano spot at the end was 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 solid. So ultimately in the end, I think Solo looked even better coming out of this. He did. And so that was a success. It's impressive that almost every time he gets in the ring, he looks better coming out of it than he did going in. And yeah. like his ascension is remarkable. I, I, I don't know the last time someone that fresh has come onto the main roster and leveled up as consistently as Solo Sokoa. Uh, two questions. One, had you ever heard of or seen that guy before, uh, this, that guy Hardy before Raw? I have not. Okay. And two, well, that was one question and I was going to make a comment. So I don't know why I said two questions, but the comment is, I think you have a good point that because this Elias Sokoa feud or actions t- were taken against Elias previously. This could have been pre-announced for Raw. Don't forget, though, they had two championship matches that had been heavily promoted leading yep. into Raw. And because they did the storyline to open the show, it made sense for this to be something that they announced during hour one and then just kind of had. My bigger issue was I didn't find any of the matches to be that exciting in terms of the booking, the people involved. And, and we'll get to that a little bit more in the second match here, which was Kevin Owens and the Street Profits against Sami Zayn and the Usos in a six-man tag team match. So Ford had a great hot tag with a huge splash plus a standing moonsault and a frog splash on Zayn for a broken fall. Then he hit a massive tope on two men outside. Sokoa interfered out of the crowd with a super kick to Owens, and then Zayn caught Ford with a huluva kick in the corner for the win. Sami led a bloodline beatdown of KO after the bell. He grabbed a chair from Sokoa that he was going to use, but Drew McIntyre and Sheamus made the save out of the crowd ahead of their tag team title match on Friday. So they're getting the title match that they weren't able to have because McIntyre injured his eardrum and has been out of action for a few weeks. Now, despite all the talent in the ring here, I just didn't find this match to be particularly noteworthy. We've seen the teams wrestle. We've seen the singles wrestle. So throwing them in a six-man, it just didn't necessarily pique my interest. Now, that's not to say there was anything wrong with it, We did have some big entertaining spots here. I found McIntyre and Sheamus coming out of the crowd to be nonsensical. How would they know the bloodline was planning to invade Raw? Plus, what about all those other Raw wrestlers who wanted a piece of the bloodline that we just saw in the earlier segment? Why wouldn't they come back out and try to even the sides again? But it's wrestling. It's not really the biggest deal in the world. I wanted to give extra credit to KO for his sell job on the Uso Superkick during this match. I tweeted a clip of it. It's going to be tough to top for sell of 2023. He collapsed, his head hit the top of the barricade, and he just slid all the way down like he was in a comic book or something like that. In a cartoon, I should say, not a comic book. So that was a great sell. I just didn't really care about this match, and I really should have. But the Profits, they've had so many title opportunities against the Usos. We've seen them wrestle so many times. It's not fresh. Sammy and KO, we've seen a million times going against each other. I don't know. I I didn't really love this part of the booking on Raw. I didn't get into it either. And I think it's because we just saw a big tag team match with Sammy and Kevin Owens. Like this was like it was another tag team with them involved, but not as big. 
it, it felt like a step down on the very show after. It didn't so feel it just, like a step down. It was. You go from Roman right. Reigns and John Cena to the Street Profits and the Usos as partners. That's a step down. Yeah. So it just it did. It, it didn't it felt like the B version of what we got on Friday or something like that. So that was fine in terms of other people not coming out. Maybe security was backstage and didn't want that to happen again. I don't know. But Sheamus and McIntyre, did it make sense? I don't know. Not really. But McIntyre showed up without a shirt and in jeans and looked like a million bucks again. <laughs> and so that, that's that's always a heck of a sight. And also him and um, the two of them posted on social media that they called they called themselves. I don't know if this was new or not, but they called themselves. The Banger Brothers, which they did really, yeah, yeah. The hashtag Banger Bros is is what they had, which was pretty funny and brings me back to submission sorority uh, days. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, that was pretty funny. But yeah, just didn't get into it. Hey Sorry, I thought you were done. I wanted to no, get that clip in there. You would think, by the way, that you and I had different proclivities. The way we get uh, so excited seeing Drew McIntyre in jeans and no T-shirt. <laughs> Like, like we find it to be like the height of McIntyre, the best way he can look. It and really it's like, is. It's remarkable. <laughs> it's just funny the way uh, neither of us are that way. Um, but you would think we are just based on uh, our our continued uh, desire to see McIntyre Appreciation. looking like a badass uh, mofo, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but yeah, you know, overall, look, this storyline was far more successful, I thought, on SmackDown than Raw. I also thought it was more successful on Raw last week than it was on Raw this week, what I would have done differently just to kind of wrap this up, I would have had each of the four bloodline members wrestle a singles match mm. rather than do this six man. So Elias and Sokoa, I would have kept that, but I would have done something different. I would have done KO and Jey Uso, Sami Zayn and Montez Ford. Like I would have done it in a different manner. Also that way that the heels didn't win everything because guess what? Solo, Sammy, and the Usos beat all the Raw superstars. What does that do to your Raw roster? That's not good either. Because, again, we've said for a while, the tag team spot, especially kind of on Raw, like, there just isn't much going on there. In the Usos there are no titles. contenders for the Usos right now. No, nah, I'm trying to think. Nah, it's not the Profits, the New Day, or the NXT champs. The Brutes are just kind of hanging around. I guess it's the Banger Brothers. <laughs> well, they technically are, yes, but I mean, there's really no legitimate long-term number one contenders where we can look at them and say, outside of, of course, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, if they do team up and if the storyline progresses in the way we think it's going to, right now, there's no other team where I'm like, they're definitely challenging, challenging the Usos at the Royal Rumble. They're definitely fighting the Usos at Elimination Chamber. Oh yeah, clearly they're going to be the WrestleMania opponents. I don't have that unless it is Sami Zayn and KO for WrestleMania. That's a good point, too. That that would make sense as a potential one for WrestleMania if it's not Sammy KO. So it's it's tough, but that that's it's it's a mix between like you still trust them to figure it out by WrestleMania. So like, you know, we'll see. Oh, they have plenty of time. I'm not saying that there's any hugely negative deal happening right now, but they do need to start kicking some of this stuff into high gear and they need to be developing tag team challengers outside of storylines involving the Usos, just like they did on SmackDown a few weeks ago with that number one contendership. Where are the teams on Raw right now? Like they're not doing anything. There's Judgment Day could have a team in a storyline. Alpha Academy, obviously, the Good Brothers. There's, there's There are teams on the show, but right. they're not competing. None of them seem to be title hungry, which is ridiculous. People should always be title hungry. That's just a general frustration I have right now uh, with the tag team division, but there is at least a reason for it. And it's because of the Usos dominance in the bloodline storyline. All right, Chris, that was the first part 
of our triple main event here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Let's move in to the second part, which involves the SmackDown Women's Division. So we'll kick it off with a scheduled SmackDown Women's Championship match, Ronda Rousey defending against Raquel Gonzalez. So Raquel came out in some new gear with her elbow out of a brace and a wrap instead. Ronda was in her judo gi and a black belt with updated white, black, and gold gear. Uh, Rodriguez dominated early with power and a really cool spinning slam until she ran into the post when charging Rousey, who collapsed from exhaustion in the corner. Rousey took over working the elbow and hitting a really cool hooking suplex. Raquel came back with a huge lariat for a 2.8. They did armbar into Boston Crab into ankle lock submission counters. Rodriguez got Rousey up for the Tahana bomb, but Ronda grabbed her arm trying an armbar counter only for them to roll out of the ring with Raquel hitting her finisher on the apron. Rodriguez rolled Rousey off the canvas into a huge fallaway slam. Rousey countered the Tahana bomb into a sleeper, but Rodriguez powered out by running herself into the corner, plowing Ronda's head into the top turnbuckle. Raquel came back with the spinning elbow. Shayna Baszler helped break the fall, but the referee didn't eject her, which I didn't think made sense. Rousey then powered out of a Rodriguez move on the ropes and put her in a spider-style armbar, only for them both to fall off the top rope into the ring. Raquel landed on her elbow. Ronda pulled back on the armbar and tapped her out in 17 minutes. Chris, this was easily the best or second best match that we've gotten from Ronda Rousey since she returned 11 months ago. And I may legitimately put it over the Rousey-Charlotte Flair I quit match from WrestleMania Backlash. It was a straight up banger. Both women were exceptional here. The wrestling was great. The counters were fluid. The finish was awesome. I looked at this match. I watched this match. and I was like, where has this Ronda Rousey been? I don't understand. 4.25 stars and an A. And even with that grade, I might actually be downplaying it a little bit. You know, the, the the previous best match of Ronda's return was the first match against Raquel Rodriguez. These two have chemistry. Mm, no, the Charlotte match at WrestleMania Backlash was better. Right, but that first match with Raquel very was good. surprisingly very good. So good yes. they ran it back the very next week and it wasn't as good. But right, right. I, I think these two really have some chemistry together. They do. And I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you. I'm like, even just Ronda's entrance and the way she's kind of carrying herself, I was like, all right, like maybe Ronda's kind of figuring this out this embracing this heel part right now mm-hmm. you know it's still trying to figure out with the crowd and everything and, and promos and stuff but like she's starting to kind of feel herself a bit and this was a great match to uh kind of cement that and i'm like all right like here's something to build on moving forward and then well we'll get to that in a moment yeah. I, do you agree that this match could have been a paper. This could have been a Royal Rumble Women's Championship match. Totally agree. I, I, I would think, have, I would have needed some more build. Need give me oh, like yeah, a, a, yeah. a video package to kind of really build up Raquel a bit more. But quality of match, absolutely. And really, if they extended it, I mean, they could have even done. I'm just saying the match quality was yeah. good enough for Ronda Rousey, even if it was a WrestleMania match. Like it was legitimately a great match with Ronda Rousey and Raquel Rodriguez. And I was just stunned by it just because Ronda has been so bad in the ring over these last few months. It's been astonishing, really, because her first run, she got so much better. Every single time she wrestled, she got better and better and better. And this time, it's almost been the opposite. Like, it just keeps getting worse and worse. So this coming out of nowhere was an absolute stunner to me. Not as stunning as what followed. So once Rousey regained herself after the bell, out of nowhere, 
Charlotte Flair made her return. She got a remix theme, brand new gear. The crowd, Chris, went apeshit for her. Everyone in the lower level was on their feet cheering. Ronda cut her off with some really botched, terrible shit talking. Charlotte then said, I'm not here to challenge you for the Royal Rumble. I want the SmackDown Women's title on the line right now. The crowd ate it up. Baszler begged Rousey not to do it. She kept telling her, this is stupid. Don't do it. You just wrestled. You're tired. Rousey lays down the title in the ring. So we get a SmackDown Women's Championship match, Rousey against Flair. Charlotte booted Ronda right in the face of the bell and hit a spear. Rousey countered into an armbar. Flair then countered right back into a pushover roll-up cover to win the title in 60 seconds. Michael Cole immediately sold it as her 14th title reign without missing a beat. And Chris, I was straight up flabbergasted seeing this transpire. Charlotte returning, check. Challenging Ronda, check. Made sense in the storyline. But doing the match immediately, unadvertised on SmackDown, in squash fashion, rather than waiting three weeks for the Royal Rumble, I cannot justify it. I would like to hear someone provide a legitimate explanation as to why this had to happen here. Now, if it was purely for ratings, that's just astounding, especially because there wasn't even a commercial break for people to say, holy shit, Charlotte Flair is back. I gotta go tune into SmackDown. None of this, Chris, is discounting the crowd reaction. They went absolutely wild for her return and even crazier for the title win. It was a great moment. There is no ignoring that or putting it aside. Now, maybe there's an extenuating circumstance, like an injury or a personal situation. That would be understandable. Other than that, though, why not wait three or four weeks? And why do a 60-second roll-up? Why not consider maybe putting over Raquel, even if it's only for a couple of months? Beyond those issues, it was almost identical to the Becky Lynch return at SummerSlam two years ago, except it was done to a heel instead of a babyface. Now, at AJR5681 and at LSU Jordan 45, they both wrote in comments. They wrote that Charlotte basically cashed in her I'm Charlotte Flair contract. At Dan Butler 12 said the segment went from, oh, cool, Charlotte is back to, oh, shit, Charlotte is back with the exactly. quickness. At exactly. the, he, he nailed it. That's exactly what it was, particularly Dan. The babyface reaction Charlotte got after being out for seven months was so refreshing that even I was happy to see her. And then three minutes later, I could only shake my head because I was immediately reminded why I hate Charlotte being on TV. Not because of her, but because of her booking. It was almost like this was booked to purposely piss off a segment of fans. And that would have worked if she was meant to be a heel. But she's not. She's a baby face. And that's the most confusing part of the entire thing. When Charlotte's music hit, the revamped music, I was like, oh, cool. Charlotte's back. That's that's good. Oh, cool. Charlotte they're Ron- setting up they're yeah. setting up a Royal Rumble title match. And I was like, Charlotte Ronda, like, eh, I'm kind of over it. But like, look, Charlotte's a big deal. It's it's good that she's back. I like seeing her. Cool, cool, cool. And she comes in the ring and says, not going to challenge you at the Rumble, I'll challenge you tonight. And I went, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. We, we cannot. Are we really going to do this? Are we really going to do this? And then they did it. And all I could think of, 
Charlotte is now a 14-time champion. Already 14 times. Like, she's going to blow past Rick. Like, we're not even like... Maybe she's not. I don't know how, because every Be- time she shows up, she wins a championship. Because you're saying she blow is- past Rick. Maybe what happened, maybe part of this time off was like, hey, look, I'm going to do this for two more years, and then I'm going to retire. I'm going to have kids, and I want to... Li- I that- mean, maybe. You I, have I, to I, always take that into consideration with sure. women's wrestlers. Not that they can't ever come back after having children. Obviously, you know, dozens of them have, of course, and some of them have had much better careers or, or, or uh, the, the bigger, more successful parts. Too. Ron, Ron like and Becky just, right. Ron and Becky, Ronda just, and Becky did just did it. Those are two perfect examples. Um, but for others that may not be their life plan, right? And Charlotte is actually on the older side of things in terms of uh, she got into wrestling at a later age and she obviously had a ton of success in a short you know, window. Not really that short, actually. She's been in WWE for a really long time, but it's very possible that she said, hey, look, I'm going to do this for a couple of years. And Triple H is like, hey, you, you know what? The goal for us ultimately was for ha- to have you break your father's record. So if we're going get, to get you to 17, then we need to get you 14 as soon as possible. Maybe that could be it. That, that wasn't even my larger point. I'm just speculating, my, my, by the way. Right, my no other point was like, yeah. how often WWE does these things with the women's title? It's so frustrating. With money in the bank, with... It even goes back to Paige making her debut after WrestleMania and immediately beating AJ Lee. Like this just happens all the time with the women's belts and it devalues the belts because you give away these big moments just on a whim and without the build and without the gravitas that that they deserve. Sometimes we'll get the Becky Bianca like it should be, but way too often we get Nikki Ash cashing in. Mm -hmm. We liked Liv Morgan cashing in, but that was just like it was another one every time that it just didn't need to happen the next show or or, or the same show. I have no idea why. And the only one one of the things that popped into my head was what we talked about on the year in review podcast. If you haven't gone back and listened to that, we went deep on everything that happened. I really should have mentioned that in the intro. We we uh, we also made some predictions for 2023, and one of mine was that 2023 would be Ronda Rousey's last year in WWE. And maybe it's done. I mean, there's no reports now, but when that happened, I was like, wait, maybe Ronda's done now. I, I don't know. Maybe I mean, three months out from WrestleMania? Match. I don't know. Maybe she'll come back for WrestleMania and then be done with it there. Like, my the prediction I made feels even more possible now after what happened there. Well, what's interesting is I just, I don't know how this can be salvaged. Like, as we discussed with Austin Theory's Money in the Bank cash-in, sure, something good might come out of this, but that doesn't really change what happened in the moment. Rousey is a heel. So yeah. her getting comeuppance on a baby face doesn't work as a storyline. You could say if it happened the other way and then Flair eventually fought her way into fighting Rousey at WrestleMania and winning the title, that would be a very sensible storyline having Ronda win the Royal Rumble for a second straight year, that would be straight up infuriating. I mean, could you right. imagine her winning the Rumble again and then ch- challenging Charlotte? <laughs> and that's the match we get. Like, I can't even fathom them booking that. What, what else is what there? Maybe is Charlotte the mo- what, yeah. versus Becky Lynch. But there's two issues with that. First, they're still at odds as far as I know. Second, they're both baby faces, given how Charlotte returned. So that doesn't work. Charlotte and Becky. Also different brands. Also different brands. Yeah, but if Becky wins the Royal Rumble, she chooses whoever she wants. Sure. So but I, I'm just not sure how this works out. I also find it quite ironic that this happened after Ronda's best match of her title reign. Literally yep. seconds yep. after she got me thinking, hey, maybe she still has it. 
And I'm like, maybe they can salvage this uh, mm-hmm. title reign of Ronda's, which has been very rough to this point. Instead, it's now Charlotte's title. And I'm not going crazy. You know, I didn't rant on this like I would have if this happened while Charlotte was on the roster. I mean, it was a return. They tried to do a big moment. Like, I understand the circumstances of what they did on Friday night, but I see no path going forward. Now you have two babyface champions. You're about to enter WrestleMania season. I mean, is Bianca Belair going to lose the title to Alexa Bliss? Like, like how do you, like, you want a babyface moment in at WrestleMania, and if you come in with two face champions, how do you get that? I, I'm totally perplexed at this booking. It, it just, it was the most Charlotte booking ever possible. Yeah. And that's not a diss against her, like you said. It's just the way she's always presented. She is incapable of not being the champion. So much so that they literally give it to her on her return. You know what? It's it's and, even worse than Brock Lesnar. Yes, I would agree. Because Brock especially, Lesnar was made champion. Yeah. He was, he was made champion by Vince McMahon because he's so dominant that Vince said, how does it make sense for this guy to be on our company, in our company, and not be the champion of it? With Charlotte, it's forced. It's it's Roman Reigns level forced, but to a degree so far beyond whatever happened with Roman Reigns. Brock, the issue, Brock, well, Brock has long reigns. Charlotte right. has many reigns. And right. that's why it's, that, that's why there, it feels different. I said the last time Charlotte won the belt, I think it was the last time she won the belt. I was like, she needs to hold this for like a year when she was calling herself the standard or whatever like that, I was like, I like this gimmick. She needs to go on a really long reign of terror type of thing. And then eventually someone will beat her and then she'll, and, and then that'll be a big you know moment. It, and it didn't happen. It's not even the multiple reigns for Charlotte. That's the worst part. The worst part is when she loses the title because half the time it's like a money in the bank cash in. No one's mm-hmm. been cashed in more ever on more ever than Charlotte Flair. And she loses it every time they use it as an excuse to take the title off of her without her taking like a clean L or it's the WrestleMania scenario where Becky Lynch pinned Ronda Rousey and therefore got Charlotte's title as well. Or it's a triple threat match where she doesn't get pinned and she loses the title. That is even more frustrating than her multiple reigns. The fact that she never gets beaten clean in a big moment. Think about WrestleMania. Asuka should have beaten Charlotte Flair clean at WrestleMania for the title. They didn't do that. That's the bigger issue. And again, it's one thing if you do this booking for someone who's a heel. But her coming back as a baby face doing this, again, it's identical to what Becky Lynch did to Bianca Belair, except it's the opposite alignment, heel baby face. It's, it's crazy that they booked it this way. And Chris, like, I think there's one thing people forget. Sure, Vince McMahon loves Ric Flair and by extension, Charlotte Flair. But the guy in charge now, Paul Levesque, he idolizes Ric Flair. He might love them even more than Vince did. So while booking and storytelling may be getting much better across the board, Charlotte is sure as shit going to get hers under Triple H. That is not going to change. It is possible Charlotte, much like Becky when she beat Bianca, kind of just transitions to heel. No, this was babyface smiling. It was always going to be a babyface return, though. Like, it's just every return. It's impossible to return as a heel. Charlotte is very good on the mic. She can come out the next minute and say, I don't need you fans. I can come with no. the title my first time here. You if you're transitioning stop. away from Ronda, if Ronda is still in the mix and getting a rematch or whatnot, then no. But what? Well, I mean, you're going to run back. Has never worked. Charlotte has never worked as a face. She just, it has never worked because she's a great heel. Because she's the daughter of Ric Flair. Because she's bigger than everybody in the division. 
better than everybody in the division. It it just like like Ric Flair was always a heel. Like Charlotte Flair is a heel, so I'm very curious to see. I mean, maybe, but then, then you're doing a Charlotte gimmick change or, or a face heel alignment change before WrestleMania, and then who's stepping up as her challenger? Like, dude, I just I don't see a path forward here. Now again. You know, with Austin Theory, we were extremely critical of the Money in the Bank cash-in. And it turned out the very next week and going forward, look look where Austin Theory is now, right? We're like, holy shit, this mm-hmm. guy's totally turned things around. Triple H maybe felt he needed to make such a drastic move to make a drastic change to Austin Theory. But Becky, uh, sorry, Be- I almost called her Becky Lynch. Charlotte Flair is not Austin Theory. Charlotte is established. And you're bringing her back with a new theme, a new look, a slightly different look. As a babyface, getting huge cheers. She's cutting promos, calling herself the the people's queen, which is a direct ripoff of Becky Lynch being the man of the people, which is what the gimmick she's come back as. I just, I don't think she's going heel. I don't know what heels exist to challenge her. And if we get Charlotte Flair, Ronda Rousey in a title match at WrestleMania, I'm not saying it won't be good, but I am telling you I'm not going to be interested in it. Me neither, probably not. So we'll see. All right. So moving from here, the third part of our main event, this is just a simple news story. Really bad news came down right before the end of the year. AJ Styles broke his ankle during a WWE live event. So not on television, just one of the house shows that they were doing. He tweeted to confirm that he did indeed break his ankle. He said, doesn't need surgery, but he is going to be out for a significant period of time. Now, if it's an ankle fracture, right, and there's no tendon or ligament issues uh, involving anything in that area, he could definitely be back by WrestleMania. It'd probably be like a two-month uh, injury timeline, something like that. If there is ligament um, or tendon damage, I guess is really what it would be in an ankle, uh, then you're looking at a prolonged absence all the way through WrestleMania. Extremely unfortunate, but Chris, this happens every year in the winter leading into the Royal Rumble. The injuries just all of a sudden start happening. And it happened with AJ Styles. Some people think that there was an injury scare uh, with Seth Rollins on Raw. Whether or not that's the case, we'll talk about that momentarily. Uh, But man, these guys and girls, they just need to stay healthy. And we got to get through WrestleMania and WrestleMania season with WWE having as many people available as possible because it has drastically affected their booking the few years prior. As someone who once broke his ankle playing hockey and came back earlier than I was supposed to because it was the playoffs, I can relate to what AJ Styles is going through right now. We're in, we're in, we were in the same situation, me in high school, and him as a professional athlete. <laughs> same uh, situation. I like look this. It sucks. It sucks. You, you you know you really hope he can come back. He's awesome. He's AJ Styles. I don't mean this to sound like. Uh, mean or anything but like he hadn't been doing anything for a while so it's not like some big storyline has to get thrown out the window at this that we know of that we know i'm sure they had plans for him but it's not like we need to make a big pivot here so i i don't know the oc's kind of been hanging around since then judgment day stuff i i don't really know um i think aj Styles said this was going to be his last contract in wrestling when he when he signed his last contract with WWE I don't remember how far that goes but uh yeah it just really sucks and you hope we don't get more of this because this is the time when you want everybody to be healthy and thankfully he's not going to need surgery he said so just hoping for the best yep now we just did a triple main event here on WWE to kick off 2023 but we are far from done we have a ton 
Still left to discuss, Chris, as we slide into the second segment on these shows, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... All right, let's kick things off with Bray Wyatt, who entered to open SmackDown, saying he's not a good person because he's done so many horrible things he does not regret. However, he did regret attacking the cameraman last week. LA Knight interrupted, unwilling to let Wyatt get a pass of any responsibility for all of the attacks. And he doesn't believe in the bullshit Uncle Howdy that he had anything to do with it. Knight said Wyatt used to be something to be concerned about. Now he's a fraud and a loser. Knight said he wanted Wyatt to make his first Royal Rumble memorable. Wyatt called him a little idiot and accepted. And just then when he did that, Uncle Howdy appeared on the screen saying, revel in what you are, embrace the darkness. Then Uncle Howdy made his spooky entrance with his own music. This time, Howdy walked all the way to the ring in the dark placed his hat on the apron, and stood between both guys while in the mask. He stared down Bray, and then he stood next to him, seeming to align with him, only to suddenly turn and knock out Bray Wyatt with Sister Abigail. Then he grabbed the hat and slowly walked out with a little bit of swagger, and obviously the Embrace the Darkness line was an opening for the eventual pitch black Mountain Dew stipulation, which was simply just announced later in the show. Now, I tweeted this in the moment, but Chris, I am now all the way back in with this shit. This was exactly what we, or at least I, have been needing. They added layers to the gimmick, the feud, and the storyline all in one segment. I'm definitely in the camp of Howdy being Bo Dallas, given the look, the size, and the mannerisms. I think they used like a double last week to kind of throw us off a little bit. But as I hoped last week, I'm glad it's an actual separate person and not just Bray's manifestation. Now, we still have to wait a full month for the match. And given there's so much time, I figured they would build up to the pitch black stipulation. So it was a little bit of a disappointment for me that they just announced it out of nowhere. But it was a strong segment and a really hot start to the show. This was a good. Yeah, it was it was a good. And this was the second time in a couple of weeks that first off, L.A. Knight comes out to the comes out to the crowd, make sure to get some booze by saying some things. And he stops the what chance that we're starting. It was like the second time in a couple weeks he's done that. Very, very good on the mic for that. Uh, Uncle Howdy, yeah, like I'm I'm interested. Look, there's a lot of weeks when nothing happens with this story. This is a week that something happened. So that's a good step forward. And we're going to talk about it later. But after what happened on Raw, you can't help but think what any of this has to do with Alexa Bliss. Because mm-hmm. if Bray Wyatt doesn't control Uncle Howdy... Does he not control Alexa? What, what's going on there? It's it, it's we'll talk about that in a bit, but there's a lot more intrigue now. It's not QR codes, mystery, whatever, like something happened. Ray Wyatt got attacked. L.A. Knight standing there going, what the hell's going on? I don't really know what's going on. So good segment, good setup and more interest. Uh, so that's a good. Yeah. So speaking of Alexa Bliss, we had a Raw Women's Championship match, Bianca Belair against Alexa Bliss. Belair backstage refused to excuse Bliss's attack, and she said, you can't blame it on Bray Wyatt, promising to do what was necessary to retain the title and prove herself. Bliss had a scowl on her face at the bell. It began with a takeoff from Scary Movie 3, which was totally appropriate for the match, 
Check our Twitter. I did post the clip uh, last night. Then Belair swung Bliss into the barricade. Bliss pulled Belair down by the braid for a weak backbreaker. Belair hit her handspring moonsault. Bliss did the somersault off the apron. And then her gymnastics routine thing in the ring that just never connects. I cannot wait for her to stop doing that. Please take it out of your arsenal. Then in the corner, Bliss pulled Belair off the ropes outside by her braid, which was a pretty nasty spot. At ringside, Bliss got distracted, staring at two different men who were dressed normally, but they were wearing Uncle Howdy masks standing in the corner in the crowd. Those delays allowed Bianca to roll away, and then the logo flashed on the Titantron twice. That affected Alexa's head. That led to her attacking the referee and Belair with Fez presses. She threw Bianca into the post and steel steps before twice DDTing her onto the steps, with Belair seemingly getting cut open hard way on the chin. It may have been a capsule. It was really red. So I think it was a capsule, but nevertheless, Bliss's nose was bleeding simultaneously, but that was from a hard way during the match. We then saw a clip of Ford helping carry Belair to the back for some realism. That happened during the commercial break. And then even later, Bliss said in an interview, she did not lose control. She gained control over Belair's headspace because Bianca now knows Alexa is a real threat to the title. And she basically was remorseless in that interview. So the match was fine. They got a ton of time, nearly 20 minutes, but Bliss just cannot compare to Belair in the ring. The wrestling was rough primarily because of her. The booking and the finish completely fit with the storyline. Belair sold it expertly outside. It was a great job by Bianca. The problem was there was no bell or announcement to signify the end of the match. Mm -hmm. I get the referee took a few punches, but he could have sat up and done the hand thing and just called for the DQ or the no contest. Because they didn't execute it that way, the crowd did not vociferously boo like they needed to. Usually when someone forces a disqualification in a title match, they're going to boo the result and consequently the person who caused the disqualification. They didn't do that. So the crowd, which was a Tennessee crowd, they were in Nashville, they chanted one more time. They wanted Bliss to do it again to Bianca because they liked the Bray Wyatt stuff. So WWE got 95% of the way there with the match and the booking. So I'm going to give it a good, but it could have been way better if they just executed that those final moments a little bit better. Agree on, on those little things at the end. I was waiting for the bell too. I think the crowd was kind of confused. I but thought the I, match I, was still continuing because the referee didn't see anything that was happening. Right, right. So it was uh, it, it was a good, but the, the beatdown was good. Alexa's beatdown of of um, Bianca was good. I'm I'm not like you said Bianca capsule hard way. Not sure she went into the stairs kind of head first. She did shoulder first, yeah. which is the way you typically want to go. So that's what made me think it was that accident or not. It added to the moment. It, it added to the moment to see both of them in blood. That those are situations when it works and you tell that story. So I. Uh, I like that it is, again, a step forward for Alexa. Again, after SmackDown, I'm more intrigued because it's not Bray then, is it? I don't know, because we've got kind of a cross-brand similar thing going on. Mm -hmm. She's acknowledged the Bray thing in the past a couple weeks ago when they had the, the sit-down interview. So I'm I'm interested. The, the, I'm not sure how I feel about the backstage interview with Byron Saxton, though, because first off, that how it happened like, at least an hour later. I oh think. yeah. It was way later in the show. And, yeah. and, and she was still like in her gear walking around. And, and so I, I don't know. I, that was a little bit weird. I wasn't sure if I wanted an explanation or not in the moment, if it was 
not going to be a total reveal. So unsure about that, but the, the second, the main segment itself, that was a good, it's a step forward and I'm intrigued. This has to be a rematch for the Royal Rumble, right? I, I guess I can't really see anybody else. Yeah, I don't see I, another I really, challenger. I really have no the thing is I just I really have no idea where this Alexa thing is going to go, and so I, it could go any which way. Honestly, I do I can't predict what's going to happen, and that's not a bad thing. I would like to see Bel Air out for next week and Bliss fight someone else as kind of a version of whatever this character is that she's becoming. Then Bel Air returns. They do the go home and they fight at the Royal Rumble, and Bel Air obviously retains. If they have Bliss take the title off Bel Air because of spooky shit. I mean, and go into WrestleMania as champion. I just, I mean, get, get, it's possible. Also, I'm curious what her look is going to be. Is it going to be tweaked? Is it going to be back to the dark Alexa we got before, which I thought it was actually a really good look. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see what kind of changes we see from her now. Maybe some obvious things, maybe some subtle things. I don't want her to come back out in the same shirt and everything looking the same and keep snapping. There's got to be a physical progression. Now. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So we had the uh, United States Championship on Raw Austin Theory defending against Seth Rollins. This was one of those two pre-announced matches, the women's title match, of course, being the other one. Theory backstage said Rollins is in the past. He's the now and his forever reign is just beginning. Rollins also cut a promo. He didn't really say anything. There were tons of signature counters both ways. Rollins collapsed on a pickup powerbomb spot and he sold an injured knee. He hit the superplex, but Theory countered the Falcon Arrow into an over-the-knee neckbreaker for a 2.99 falls finish. I was kind of surprised they went that deep early in the match. Rollins escaped A-Town down. They traded big shots. Rollins hit his rolling forearms, but was unable to hit the stomp after planting on his injured knee. Theory tried running off with the title, but Rollins pushed him out of the crowd and into the ring for a super kick, countering a belt shot. Then he hit a huge one-legged frog splash for another false finish. They countered finishers again. Theory ran Rollins into the referee, but Rollins came back with a pedigree as a new referee ran down for a 2.9 false finish. As the fresh referee checked on the injured one, Rollins avoid being pushed into him a second time, basically. That opened the door for a low blow, a chop block to the injured knee, and A-Town down with Theory retaining the title. This was an exceptional match from Bell to Bell. The final six or eight minutes were just outstanding. The knee injury to me looked like a cover for a botch at first, but the knee also factored into multiple parts of the finish, including the stomp and the chop lock. So I'm leaning, or maybe I'm hoping, that it was all a great work. And whether they improved it in the moment or whether it was planned from the beginning, I'm not sure, because that is the same knee that Rollins injured years ago. And it would obviously be the worst case scenario if he actually hurt it again during the match. Here, though, if it was planned, it was the perfect excuse to take the fall. Theory had to cheat to win. It was a baller main event across the board. Rollins really helped get Theory over in this moment. A slight deduction from a grade standpoint just because of the way the finish came. But I was at 4.25 stars and an A, clearly a good, worthy main event and a great start to 2023. Definitely a good. And I I think for sure that knee injury had to be kayfabe like it just it factored so into too. so many parts of the match the finish all that Seth, Austin Theory beats Seth Rollins you protect Seth even though you don't need to in my opinion but you, you do that and onward you go so it makes sense I, I I this was a good look for Theory you know he's moved past the 
I'm just a smarmy guy. Like he's like, I'm working hard at this and going to win while also being a heel. I think the necklace was new this week. If it was, it worked. I, th- I thought it really added to his look, made him look more like a douchebag and it worked. So match was good. Great result. Not much more to really say other than just they accomplished what they wanted to. Do we run this back at, at Rumble, we think? Uh, no, I don't think so. This should be done by now. And really, you have to wonder where the U.S. title storyline is going, right? So right. we'll talk about Bobby Lashley a little bit later. He was obviously involved in the storyline. I could possibly see him getting back into it pretty quickly. Um, Rollins has now lost this opportunity. Mustafa Ali got his ass kicked all those times. And I mean, he was on Raw, but he hasn't factored into the U.S. title storyline in a while. So I don't know. I, for me, it's a clean slate right now. That's the way I look. There, I, I, in fact, in fact, dude, I don't think the title's even going to be defended at the show. I think he's going to be in the Royal be. Rumble match. We've done so many big matches on TV the last couple of weeks. It's kind of hard to book out the Rumble right now. Yeah. Um, as, as well. And the other part is we may get Cody back at or before the Rumble. You know, like he's been on WWE TV a bit here. You're doing the last a, couple of weeks. You're, you're, I got to say, you're doing a really good job teeing up my next. You know, so people should know when they listen to the show, Chris does not have the rundown. I operate no. this as a host solely with my own notes. And I go from here. You, this is now the third time on this episode that you have literally teed up the next segment that I was going to talk about. Well, it makes sense. And yeah. that, that's the other part is there's more and more Cody on my TV right now. There is. So Raw aired a video package for Cody Rose. Uh, it recaps his return to WWE at WrestleMania and wrestling the Hell in a Cell match with a torn pectoral. And I think they also did a video package where they mentioned him in some way last week. I forget exactly what they did last week. But Chris, I hate this decision so much, okay? Everyone knows he's returning at the Royal Rumble. But fans want the surprise moments, especially after we didn't get any last year. This Royal Rumble needs to be packed full of as many surprise returns and debuts and whatever else they want to do as possible because they really need to turn the tide from that shit fest we got in 2022. But already on Friday, WWE took a Charlotte Flair surprise return off the table for the women's match. Now it seems like they're, I don't know, going to announce the Monday before the Royal Rumble that Cody's going to be in the match or they're going to do a countdown. At the very least, they're setting the table so blatantly that it's taking the suspense out of the entire deal. I don't know why you would go so long barely mentioning Cody only to just give it away. Like, okay, maybe if The Rock or Steve Austin are in the Royal Rumble, I could see them saying that's the big return. That's the big surprise. We don't want to double up with Cody. But even so, I find it super frustrating. I see no benefit to doing it. So this grade is not about the video package they aired. It's about the booking, the concept of doing this, and I'm giving that a bad. Yes, I did think, all the good thing about when I was watching this video was this would be an amazing video package if Cody was about to fight for the championship. <laughs> like, that that's the story. <laughs> They're telling you the whole story. He wants to be the champion. His dad couldn't. tease the son. Like, that's the video you give me right before the championship match. <laughs> you know, not... Not yet, because you're going to have to come up with another one. And because they're, again, leaning on championship, it kind of feels like return at the Rumble, win the Rumble, go for the championship again. So you're right. You know, he was also on the the year in review clip show to announce nothing, really. Mm -hmm. But 
it um like you said, the fact that we haven't gotten any Cody, I was kind of surprised. Oh, that's what when it was. He, he did the interview. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. When 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 he went away for the pec surgery, I was wondering, like, hey, they want to continue this Cody momentum, Cody momentum. Give us <laughs> updates, give us have him talk via satellite, give him a commissioner role, have him just like keep him in the spotlight because you went through all this effort to bring him back to then just lose him for six months really sucks. So they didn't do that. So you're thinking, okay, we'll get the surprise, but now they're not really giving you that either. And I know his return, you know, you can't top his return to WWE. There's not going to be a surprise that can top that with him. So maybe you're like, look, we did that already. But it would get a big reaction at the Royal Rumble. It would get a huge reaction. So I'm just, it's, it's this weird middle ground that I don't know pleases anybody. See, I think the interview on its own during the year in recap show was all that was needed because you do the interview and it's like, hey, you know, Cody was such a big part of WWE in 2022. It makes yeah. sense to have him speak on the show. And then you don't mention him for four weeks. And then he shows up at the Royal Rumble. Instead, they're like, hey, remember Cody? Remember Cody? Remember Cody? And then if he shows up at the Royal Rumble, it's like, yeah, well, you promoted it for four weeks. Of course, I'm expecting him to be here. I'm not saying the crowd's not going to pop because it'll still be, in theory, his first appearance in front of an audience unless he comes back on the go-home show or something like that. And don't forget, they had Becky Lynch return on the go-home show, right? Rather than uh, the go-home SmackDown, rather than, um, or was it Raw? SmackDown. SmackDown. The go-home SmackDown, rather than at the last premium live event. War, war Games, yeah. For War Games, Survivor Series War Games. So they theoretically could do the same thing with Cody and just try to pop a big rating for Raw. It just feels like a miss to me. People like the surprises in the Royal Rumble. So why take surprises out of the Royal Rumble? I just, it's unfathomable to me. Uh, you know, we have a lot to talk about. I do have a DM slide, Chris, from Jim at Jim Extra M1328. Uh, he said, I have a DM slide to kick off 2023. I would imagine as others probably do that Cody is returning to the ring at the Rumble, possibly winning it. From my recollection in the past, a return of this magnitude is normally saved for the latter part of the match. What are your thoughts of them having Rollins draw one and then Cody coming out at number two and going the distance? It would be something different. It would call back to Seth waiting on Cody before their WrestleMania match and perhaps set up one last brief chapter of their feud between the Rumble and Mania if they choose. Thank you and hope to hear your thoughts. Love the show. It is by far the best wrestling podcast out there. Keep it up. And here's to a great 2023. Well, Jim, thank you for the note and thank you for the kind words. Obviously, I do find this to be notably intriguing, Chris. I think if you're going to have them show up one and two in the Royal Rumble, then you go back and you pull the Shawn Michaels British Bulldog booking mixed with the Bret Hart Lex Luger Royal Rumble finish. So you have them start one, two, they go all the way to the end and they get eliminated simultaneously and you have two winners of the Royal Rumble. Then what you do is you book Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins for night one of WrestleMania in a number one contendership match. The winner faces Roman Reigns or whoever the undisputed WWE Universal Champion is on night two for the title. What that would allow you to do is to have Roman Reigns against The Rock and Cody Rhodes against Seth Rollins on night one. And then on night two, you have the winners of those matches face each other. That is how I would book it. I love the idea of them starting one, two and Cody coming out and blowing the roof off the place as the second entrant. Just don't forget, Seth Rollins is a babyface now. 
So you're entering a different version of their feud than it would be if we took off where they left off, basically. You know, with, with Seth Rollins clearly being a heel and Cody Rhodes clearly being a babyface. The one thing I would say is that the idea of one and two going the distance, that happened two years ago I, with, I Ed, with Edge and Randy Orton. I know. And Edge was number one, Randy Orton was number two. So um, it, I, I don't hate the idea. Uh, Cody, Seth, like I just said, we don't really know what Seth could be doing for the Rumble. That could be a place to do it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't hate that idea, though. That's all I'll say. Well, what do you think about mixing those two uh, finishes. I, I I think I think the idea of n- they tie number one contender match versus the winner of who it feels a bit convoluted by the time you get to Mania. Plus, we do have the precedent of Batista Cena like doing it over. So I, I don't know what the rules are <laughs> necessarily. Um, so I don't I don't want that because if Cody's going to come back and win the Rumble, I just want. Cody's going to WrestleMania. He's won the Royal mm-hmm. Rumble. Like, the that's moment. the moment. You want the moment there. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. If he's if he's going to win the Rumble, if he's going to fight Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, then have him win the Rumble. Don't have him go through another hoop. I just thought it would be a really interesting way to do the Roman Rock match, yet still have a title match on the card where he can drop it. And when you do that, you have to give that person a, a match the night prior so that it's fair. And that would be a good way to do it by having them tie. The other thing you could do, is you could have Cody Rhodes win the Royal Rumble. You could have Seth Rollins win the Elimination Chamber and then have them fight as number one contenders. You know, that would be interesting too. I should note that as we're having this conversation, literally live while we're talking, Cody Rhodes just tweeted the video package from Raw and the only words on his tweet is the number one. So part one, presumably of multiple parts which means we're probably going to get this next week and going forward. Oh, I was thinking one, he's going to be number one in the Rumble, but maybe you're right. Yeah, no, I think it's part one. They did say they did say it was part one. Yeah, I think that's what he's going for. So it looks like we're going to keep getting it, even though I am not a fan of it. All right, we got a lot more to talk about here. Damage control hit the ring talking shit. So Becky Lynch answered saying it took Bailey years to get out of someone's shadow only to fall right back in it. She said Bailey had the other women do her dirty work and it's only a matter of time before someone turns on her. I thought that was interesting. Becky suggested they end their feud for good in Nashville. Bailey laughed and instead suggested a tag team match. Since Lynch said she didn't have her phone, she decided to take a handicap match. Instead, she couldn't find a partner. So we got Lynch against Damage Control, uh, two on one. Lynch was getting her ass kicked when Mi Chin's music hit. She jumped in her corner and immediately got the hot tag. There was a great spot with Kai holding Lynch's foot. So Becky pulled her into the barricade, and then hit her leg drop on the apron. I just love that spot. The faces then combined for a double superplex on Dakota. Mi Chin then had a great head scissor spike of Kai who was draping off the ropes, but Bailey put Dakota's foot on the bottom rope to break the fall. As Becky and Bailey brawled outside, Mi Chin hit Dakota with eat defeat, only for Io Sky to immediately nail her with the moon over moonsault, or I guess it's over the moonsault now is what they're calling it, for the win. This was fantastic. Well-paced, well-wrestled, Meechin had multiple big spots to help her get over, and obviously she was the right person to take the fall. If the champions had lost here, I just would have been furious. They got the job done to extend the Becky Bailey feud. The fans were eating it up as well. As I've said before, it's great to see Damage Control fully gelled in the ring. They're great together. And even though, look, we need to determine some women's tag team title challengers, and we really got to build an entire division. That's super frustrating. But beyond that, 
Uh, they've been great recently. They've finally come together. This was a damn good match. It was a good surprising match. The back and forth between Becky Lynch and Bailey, all of it was good. I was so torn on this for for several reasons. One, did I did I miss something in the beginning where Becky's saying she they where they say Becky couldn't find a partner, so she's gonna do it herself? Or was it just Becky saying, I'm gonna do this myself? No, I explained it. So she was she was in her gear when she came right. Out. And right. she's like, and they, you know, Bailey said, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to fight you, but you can fight them if you want. Right. And she's like, oh, well, I don't have my phone on me, so I can't really go find a partner right now. So I'm just going to fight you guys in a handicap match. OK, I just I because I couldn't ever remember seeing. I mean, maybe it's happened, but the idea of like a tag team match just starting and then without a second person and then just another person comes down and joins Yeah, I think, I think it was here. unique. Usually it's the person can't find a partner. I just didn't even know or, if it was allowed. Like the bell rang, like we're going here. I, I, it, I was just being kayfabe, whatever. It was, it was Becky whatever. being, I'm a badass bitch. Like I'm going to come in I, and kick your ass one on two. I don't right, care. That, that I like. That yeah. I, I, I like that. I was torn on how long Becky was in this match by herself it being a handicap match against the tag team champions. I know it's Becky Lynch, but I was just like, eh, damage control. Like they've been kind of, you know, slipping here a bit. I'd love for them to just look dominant. Ultimately they did get the win, which was good. They need that. They mm-hmm. need to get wins and not just be Bailey's lackeys. They need to be their own thing. They need to, they need, I feel like they need to feel more like a trio rather than Bailey and her partners. Because it gets weird when they have the gold and Bailey doesn't, which is what Becky pointed out. So I think for their growth, they need that. So it was good for them to get the win. I kind of, when when Meachin got pinned and Becky came back in the ring, part of me was like, man, if this was Stone Cold Steve Austin here, he would he would stun his partner and then just walk out <laughs> and get a big pop. And I was like, I wonder if Becky would do that. Like it would kind of fit her character. No, she's pure. Didn't. She's pure babyface this time. Yeah, she's full on babyface, which yeah. is fine. But like, I I, I would have dug it if that happened. Uh, before we move on, so Meechin was not called Mia Yim once during this entire segment. Her Titantron also only said Meechin. It used to say both. So it does look like the usage of both names was WWE doing a transition into the new name. And you know what? That's way better than just changing it out of the blue. Like yes, WWE, yes. they have a business strategy with these trademarks. And you, you know, you have to respect it even if you don't agree with it. They only pay to license them from top stars. And I'm sure Mia Yim probably said, well, you can license it, but you got to do this, this, and this. And I said, you know what? It's not worth it. We'd rather just own a name and make as much money as we possibly can off you. So as I said from the beginning, Meechin, perfectly fine nickname, perfectly fine name, because guess what? They explained it. It fits her. They transitioned into it. Because of that, I have zero problem with it. I actually like the name. I was going to say, I don't even have a problem with it. I love it. Like. That's how you tr- transition a name, not just, oh, he's going by this now. Like, you know what? They also call her Meechin a bit. Like, oh, she's going to call her Meechin a bit more. You know, we're just going with Meechin. That's how names work. Like if a friend has it a is. nickname or you start a nickname, you don't just immediately start it. You kind of transition to that other name. So like, it's like a little thing, but I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm actually, I just, after so many years of changing names, dropping names, trying to explain names like Walter to Gunther. This was an awesome, different way to do it. And I hope it's a model moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, different when you, this was unique, right? Like Walter to Gunther, he's just like, I'm going by a different first name, deal with it. And here's why. You can't really transition that, right? But this you can. They could have transitioned. 
Piper Nevin into Dewdrop. Again, mm-hmm. that name is horrendous. And I hope beyond all hope that she returns at the Royal Rumble as Piper Nevin. But if they had transitioned into it somehow, maybe, you know, she drops people on their heads or, you know, something out of the corner. It's a, Maybe that was the finisher name and then she takes it on as her persona. There's a million things they could have done. Again, the name was dreadful, but they at least could have done a better job transitioning into it rather than even Marie being like, I'm just going to call you Dewdrop and like her taking it like a loser. So this was well executed and I like the name. I just, I'm glad we mentioned it and talked about it. And I'm glad you had something to say about it. A couple more segments here. Imperium hit the ring with Ludwig Kaiser uh, and Giovanni Vinci putting over Gunther's dominant intercontinental title reign. Braun Strowman pointed out he was not part of Gunther's dominant run. Imperium started leaving when Braun demanded a title match and attacked them. He did his train, but Gunther dodged him. He ran through the barricade and then he got beat with a chair before Imperium threw him into the steel steps and Gunther put him in an arm lock. Officials couldn't get him to break it, but Ricochet made the save with the chair. When he did that, unfortunately, he really fucked up. Now, you know how wrestlers do the move where they swing the chair over the ropes for like dramatic effect while they chase someone out of the ring? Well, Gunther was too close to the ropes and he took a chair shot into the back of his head, and I believe he got busted open. Now, I've been dreading Strowman possibly beating Gunther, but this match is happening in two weeks on SmackDown, and I cannot see them changing the title and ending Gunther's run on SmackDown. This was damn entertaining. I thought it was a really well-executed segment. It was good. Good segment. Hope Gunther's okay. A couple of those ricochet swings where he like hit the bottom of the ring while swinging over or something like that to the, a couple of them got close. So hope everything's okay. Surprised we're not doing Gunther brawn on the pay-per-view at the rumble, but this is kind of just what we do with this belt. When we do it on SmackDown, it would feel bigger if we got the intercontinental belt at the Royal rumble. We barely ever get it on pay-per-views, but mm-hmm. it's also not new. So it is what it is. He does need also, to be in the Royal rumble match though. That's true. And all, and also be, you, you can have the match Ro- before. And Royal rumble is the one pay-per-view where I'm totally okay with mid-card titles not being on the line. Because you have two really long Royal Rumble matches. You want a world title match. You want the women's titles on the show. Tag team title ideally would be on the show. That's the one pay-per-view where it's like, you know what? It's fine. Don't put them in it. That that's fair. That 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 is fair. But I agree. Also, because of that, I agree. I don't think I don't think Braun is going to win the belt at on, on SmackDown. We'll probably get some Imperium shenanigans. Yeah, let's hope not. Uh, Dominic Mysterio cut a promo about being in prison while wearing a wife beater, chomping on a toothpick and sitting in a white room, which I think was meant to literally be his jail cell. But I've never seen a jail cell in the United States, at least that looks like that. I know uh, elsewhere in uh, Europe and such, they have very nice uh, uh, prison cells or or rooms, whatever you want to call it. Uh, He also had a teardrop tattoo under his eye, which was under his left eye. And for those that don't know, that means that you took someone's life when you do that. Uh, so he said, serving hard time is no joke and he can't wait to see mommy soon. Chris, this was fucking incredible, okay? Dom being a guy who wanted for nothing growing up, now trying to be some hardened criminal to impress a girl, the fucking mullet, the tattoo. I watched it, I rewound it, I watched it again. Straight up hilarious. They are not missing right now with Dominic Mysterio. And you gotta give credit to him. The booking's one thing. He's able to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this was good. I can't believe Finn and Priest didn't bail him out. <laughs> Why is he still there? It was there? a holiday. They probably didn't, he probably didn't have time to see a judge and get his uh, get his bail amount. 
Yeah, I don't know. That's all I could think. It's like he even said he's like, tell Finn and Priest, like they'll, they'll bail me out. And instead, no, he's gonna. I I like your idea that he's like, no, I'm gonna stay in here because it's gonna make me seem tougher and press. Like it's just like <laughs> totally works. Like the, the the Christmas attack, the Thanksgiving attack, everything with Dominic and Judgment Day has been just incredible stuff. And this was one of uh, the most might be number one. One of the most viewed things off of Raw on the YouTube. Oh, just really? Slightly, be- slightly behind the Bloodline hostile takeover. But uh, that's crazy. That's just awesome. Bar- just barely. Good yeah. for Dom, man. That's, that's great. Uh, New Day were good nature clowning Top Dollar for his failed tope last week. And he took it fine until Maximum Male Models, Riddick Moss, and Ricochet all piled on him. He got pissed off. He pushed Ricochet. This led to a Royal Rumble qualifying match next week. Now, this gets a good, not so much for the segment, which was a fun bit of tongue-in-cheek mocking leading into the, you know, leaning into the botch situation. They called the guy Flop Dalla as part of the entire thing. This got a good because WWE is actually doing qualifying matches for the Royal Rumble. Not only does that make for more interesting TV, it raises the stakes of the Rumble itself. It makes it feel like even more of a premium event. I have wanted this for so freaking long. I got to give it. It's a double good. The segment was fun. But really, the booking of doing qualifying matches for the Rumble, Mwah, beautiful. Agree. And also, I'm glad they leaned into Top Dollar falling over the top rope. Like we we talked about it last week. That's just lean into it. Like there's no don't don't ignore it. Like have some fun with it. Have him get pissed off. It worked. Yeah, this was a good. And lastly, in terms of the main segments from TV, Dexter Loomis fought Chad Gable on Raw. Otis was hysterical, selling being scared of Loomis. The wrestling was slow and methodical, which is the usual Loomis match that you're going to get. He eventually escaped with the win, countering a schoolboy into a trap pinfall. There was nothing to this. Not having Johnny Gargano out there with Loomis, it removed any shred of interest in him. He's simply not been built up enough to operate on his own. And Alpha Academy, they were funny, but it was a really short match. I'm not, it wasn't insulting. It wasn't anything horrible, but it was a bad segment. Yeah, it just it didn't click for me. You know, this is where we see, look, someone who's involved in a Miz storyline. How do they do when they're out of it? And what is Dexter Loomis when he's not tormenting the Miz? I I don't know. In the you know Dexter, so and on I, that I note, a, where was the Miz and where was Bronson Reed? Like we did get a video package for Bronson Reed that showed clips of his domination in NXT, and it was solid, but it was short. We didn't get any information about him. No follow up from his intentions last week, it really seemed like you have a three hour show. You're coming off of someone's debut. Why are you not having them on the program? Number one, but number two, why are you not giving us more information about it? When, if they do something next week, it's going to be like, Oh yeah, that happened two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I'm sorry. Last week was a clip show. So it's been two weeks since that happened. And there was no follow-up to Bronson Reed. I, I just, I don't get that at all. Completely agree on all those counts. That's why it gives us a light bad. It was one of the few things that felt like a waste of time. Now, a few other notes on the way out. These aren't grades. We're out of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Just things that we should talk about. Uh, During Raw, when Damage Control was shown walking backstage before their segment, like WWE was going to commercial, Adam Pearce was in the background. He was talking to MVP, who was alongside Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. And obviously, Pearce is involved with Bobby Lashley's extended suspension following what happened on Raw a few weeks ago. This is now the third time we've had interactions like this. So to this point, Chris, it sure as hell seems like the Hurt Business is about to be back in business. 
it's got to be happening. I think it's happening. And this is the way MVP can grease the wheels to get Bobby Lashley back. They do the thing we all love. Triple H loves putting things back together that we liked. I think it's happening. And I'm excited. My only question is, are they going to be faces or heels? Well, I think heels, if it's MVP. I mean, if he's the guy in charge, they were heels before. They were never really faces the first time around, I don't think, right? So No, they were heels. Pretty yeah, straightforward all so, the way through. I think they got to be heels. What about Omos? Is he part of it or not? Hmm. I hope so. I'd love that look. I like the idea of Omos being an enforcer for Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. Yeah. And that way Bobby doesn't need to get his hands dirty. You know, Bobby can operate as the single star, which don't forget, you know, when Vince McMahon ended her, you know, he did it because he wanted Bobby Lashley to shine on his own. And we hated it because we love the hurt business, but it did work for Bobby Lashley. So if they do that, where they really build up this five person faction and Bobby can shine on his own, but they're all still together for common you know, reasons to have each other's back and Omos benefits from it. That would be really interesting. I agree. And, and not the same build, obviously, but Omos could kind of be the solo Sokoa of the group mm-hmm. while Bobby is the Roman Reigns. Um, just kind of like you said, yes. kind of like as an enforcer. You know, no, that's a great point. Deal. Really, really so, good. Really, really good point there. Um, a couple other things. Shinsuke Nakamura did fight the Great Muda in the Great Muda as that gimmick. His final singles match that happened on Pro Wrestling Noah. I haven't seen it yet. I can't find a version of the match to watch. When I do, we will discuss it on here, or at least I will. I, I'm very much looking forward to it. If anyone happens to have a way to watch that match, our DMs are open at Getting Overcast. Feel free to send it along. Uh, Booker T, uh, as we were taping the show, said he was originally only supposed to be in WWE's NXT until December with the idea that, of course, Pat McAfee would be coming back to SmackDown and then Wade Barrett, of course, would move back to NXT. He said the following, quote, Wade Barrett, I don't know if they're going to keep him on. Now, I don't really know what that means, and I don't have a more deep explanation of what Booker's saying, but what do you think about the concept of a three-man booth on SmackDown where Wade Barrett remains, of course, over there, but Pat McAfee joins. That way, when Pat leaves, it doesn't feel like as drastic of a change. I'd like the idea in concept because Wade Barrett has done a good job, but I I, I don't like three-man boots in general, and Cole and McAfee are just so good together, I wouldn't really want to mess it up. Yeah. like I, I The idea of sending Wade back to NXT is kind of tough because I think he's good, but... I don't like three man boots at at all, really. And so you kind of have an odd man out situation. Yeah, I just I don't know what to do. Like, obviously, college game day is about to end. Um, Then the NFL season is ongoing. You know, Pat McAfee, when it's not football season, which you have to remember, it is not football season for the vast majority of the year. There's only so much for him to do with his show. And he loves WWE and he has been great. And WWE signed him to an extension. And Michael Cole, obviously, has thrived alongside him. That said, I should note, Michael Cole is thriving alongside Wade Barrett as well. Wade is fantastic. But I just, I don't see a situation or I don't want to see a situation. Maybe it's a little bit of of copium, even though I hate that term. I hate that people use it. But I I don't really see a situation where Pat does not return to WWE commentary. It would be a huge loss if he doesn't. Do you think McAfee shows up on the Rumble? Is that his return? I do think that, yes. 
that could be something to watch too. So, you know, I mean, you know what you could do if we were having our druthers, you could move weight over to raw, make Corey Graves the play-by-play guy. I would be for that 100% because he's already carrying Kevin Kevin Patrick out of there. Right. And I know it's not really his thing, but he's done it before. He's done it before. And maybe he is the voice of raw. He's the voice of raw. It's not Kevin Patrick. He's done it before. And maybe WWE could turn him into their Excalibur. Yeah. Yeah. Because Excalibur didn't really start doing play-by-play either, even though he had previously. I think Corey Graves has that capability. He's surely better than Kevin is. I mean, again, sure, Kevin Patrick is a super nice guy. He's in an ill-fitting role right now, and it just doesn't work. Uh, Last thing, Chris, before we get out of here, WWE adjacent, not specifically on WWE, Sasha Banks reportedly became a free agent on New Year's Day. At least that is the story going around. She's going to be appearing at New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom this week. Uh, reports are that Naomi is in Japan with her, but apparently she is not appearing on the show. She is just there for support. And then as we were taping the show, another report came out that Bailey will also be there, also not appearing on the show, but being there to support Banks. Now, interestingly, Sasha and Naomi are still on WWE's active roster on their website. And they have been since Triple H returned, where they previously were not on the active roster and then they got moved back onto it. Also, USA Network aired that, what's it called, Barmageddon that is airing immediately after Raw. Yes, I was going to, I had this in my notes. I can't believe I forgot to mention. Dude, the biggest match of the weekend was Sasha Banks versus Brie Bella. I turned, even though Sasha Banks was on, dude, I turned that show off as quickly as Raw, as possible when Raw ends. Between like Carson Daly and Blake Shelton and the country music. And I, it just like, it like, it's needles like in in my body. It's it's great. It's it's 50 times better than Chrisley knows best. Like it, it to me, oh, it's something it? I, I, I exit. Oh yes, of course. It's just people playing games at a bar. No, like, I'm sure. No, no, no. I'm sure the show is better. Not a, right. I'm, I'm sure the show, I'm sure the show me, is better. Just, I'm talking about yeah. the transition into it where I'm just like, Oh my God, I got to turn off this TV. No, I, I mostly accidentally just leave it on because it's not something oh. offensive. Like Chrisley knows best. And I accidentally leave it on while I get back to work or something like that. And sometimes, Oh, I left Barmageddon on. There's Nikki Bella. I changed the channel or something like that. It's, it's a completely not offensive show. I don't really understand what the point of it is, but it's just so nothing. Bell, like the, the one time Bell I tried watching it, it was so boring. It's it's odd. It's like a game show, but like not a game show. It's it's so know. bad. It's a really good really for bad show. Hey, look good for Nikki Bella to continue to move up in the entertainment world and get this. Well, she did. She deal, did so. AGT Extreme as a judge. I tried watching that. I couldn't. Yeah, I, I watch cool. America's Got Talent, the regular show. I could not watch the extreme version, not because of her by any means, but. I don't think they're doing that again. Uh, this, I can't imagine this gets renewed unless people are actually watching it because she's on and it airs after Raw. I mean, but, but to, back, back to the bad. Sasha part though, it was notable that Sasha was on the show. They called her Sasha Banks. She had the green and blue hair from a while back. It was filmed a while ago, obviously. If Sasha was gone, I don't think it's unreasonable that USA and WWE could agree, hey, let's maybe not show that or, episode. Or let's air this episode as the first episode and get it like, out of the way or that and not save it until which, she's a free agent, quote unquote, which is why in the I new subscri- year, which is why I subscribe to the theory out there that WWE is have is letting her do new Japan, but still plans to bring her back so that when she returns, it's in a different way as opposed to she was gone a long time. Now she's back. No, she showed up somewhere else. Now she's back. It would hit different. It's, it's really I, a weird situation because I mean, clearly AEW is promoting this mystery partner for Soraya 
And yes. you know, Soraya and Sasha Banks have a history given, you know, it wasn't Sasha Banks' fault, but th- the last match that Paige was in in WWE was with Sasha Banks where she got injured and that basically ended, or we thought ended her career and she's just making her return. They've grown close because of that. Obviously, Sasha being apologetic, Paige telling her it's not her fault. I think uh, Soraya said that the first person she texted when she got cleared by the doctors was Sasha Banks to let her know so the burden could be taken off of her shoulders. But it's weird. Like she has that mystery partner set for AEW Dynamite, the second Dynamite of 2023. It's in LA. It would seemingly make a lot of sense for that to be Sasha Banks. There are reports that she is now a free agent. She's wrestling in Japan. Um, The expectation is not that she's going to wrestle as Sasha Banks. It'll either be Mercedes Verando or um, Mercedes Monet or whatever those one of those names is that she's trademarked. She also did trademark all of those names, which would lead you to believe that perhaps she's going to be wrestling independently or outside of WWE, or perhaps she's going to have a dual character where she's Mercedes Monet out of WWE and Sasha Banks in WWE, though that would be confusing. If she's under contract to WWE and they let her wrestle elsewhere, they would just want to let her wrestle as Sasha Banks. So that's just what you would expect. Um, So for me, you know, top to bottom, the entire thing is odd. But I agree with you, Chris, in that I really did think she was going to AEW. But given Bailey is going over there, and I know they're friends and Bailey is free to do whatever she wants, obviously. But given Bailey's over there, given they aired this Barmageddon episode in the new year, and they didn't either not air it at all, or push it, you know, weeks ago and do it in the end of 2022, when she was still under contract to WWE, supposedly. And then given the fact that they're still on the active roster on WWE's website, I just think that somehow they may be re-signed with WWE and it's just being hidden from all the dirt sheet people. And if that's the case, great. If not, then there's a lot of confusing decisions that are happening as part of this. I don't know why WWE wouldn't move her into the alumni section. I don't know why they wouldn't have aired this TV show weeks ago. It's all very interesting. Really, the, the truth of the entire matter is we just don't know. Now, maybe by the time Dynamite airs this Wednesday, this is the go home episode, the final episode before that special Los Angeles show. Maybe there's going to be a tease that to us is going to say, oh, obviously it's going to be her. How could we even think about her returning to WWE? At the same time, when you look at the way AEW books its women's division and the lack of attention they get, lack of time they get on TV and the reactions that the women get in WWE, you're just like, why would she go to AEW over WWE? It really just doesn't make sense for her brand and for her star power. So there's a lot of stuff pulling me in both directions. I really don't know which direction this is going to go. And I guess we're going to find out inside of the next two weeks or so. If she doesn't show up for that AEW show, then she's coming back to WWE. But we're not going to know that until this entire thing transpires. So let's keep a lookout in terms of Dynamite this Wednesday, certainly next Wednesday. And let's see what happens at New Japan Wrestle Kingdom. So That is it for today's show. I appreciate everyone, of course, listening to the first WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast for 2023. As Chris mentioned, we do have the year in review episode for you to listen to wrapping up 2022. You do not want to miss that. I thought it was a killer show and I really appreciate all the kind words that you guys have given us for that. But as this week 
continues, we will have your AEW and NXT episode that's going to come out late Wednesday night because on Thursday, we are going to present to you the 2022 Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties. Those will be delivered on Thursday. On the way out, a reminder to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, please remember that this show is So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave the five-star written review. And if you do, we will read it right here on the show. Thank you all once again for listening. It is great to kick off 2023 with you for Vintage Chris Benini. This is the Silver King Adam Silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.